Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Kennedy, and you tune in today because you're sick of trying every fad diet under the sun and training yourself into the ground without seeing any results. That's why I'm here to share the most effective ways to eat and train for sustainable and real results. What's up, legends? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. And today, I'm very lucky to be joined by a guest of the show. It was only on a few weeks ago, Marika Day. So this time, we're doing it in person. Um, so thanks for coming back on the show. My pleasure. So excited to do this in person. Must have enjoyed it the first time if you come back for round two, surely. <laughs> we, uh, we actually got a really good response from, um, from the first episode and people were really interested in what Marika had to say and the topics that we talked about. So today what we're going to do is kind of go into a little bit more detail about a couple of those topics um, and also touch on um, something a little bit different in regards to emotional eating. Um, which we'll, we'll finish the show off with. But to get um, today's show started, as I said, we'll go over some of the things that we touched on last time. And um, you obviously do a lot of work on uh, on gut health, yeah. Marika. So let's uh, let's have a quick chat about some supplements that are going to aid in, in gut health and what you would or wouldn't recommend in terms of um, supplements. Because just like fat loss and muscle building, people tend to gravitate towards supplements and that's a question that I'm sure you get a lot um, and so do I in regards to body composition but in terms of gut health what should we and shouldn't we be looking for? Yeah I think you're completely right so the first thing people tend to go to is the supplements which you obviously know from an exercise point of view it's their supplements they're there to supplement the um, diet and the exercise uh, and that's the same thing that happens with gut health is a lot of people think that these supplements are going to be the answer to improving their gut health or improving the symptoms that they have within their digestive system um, supplements can be beneficial for some people, but they're certainly not going to be the difference between having good health, gut health and poor gut health. Uh, when it comes to supplements, probiotics can be beneficial for some people who do experience things like bloating and digestive concerns, but they're not likely going to be the answer for those digestive concerns. A lot of people find that they don't get benefits from taking probiotics as well. So what I suggest with probiotics is to trial them out for a period of time, so maybe like a month to eight weeks. And if you don't see any benefit during that time, then stop taking it because it's obviously not serving you any purpose. And you actually don't need to be taking a probiotic supplement to have good gut health. And that's something, a, a big misconception I think a lot of people have, is that in order to be sort of building up your microbiome and the bacteria within your gut, you must be taking a probiotic supplement. But you can absolutely get in enough uh, good nutrition that will actually help build a good healthy microbiome without the supplements and the probiotics as well. Yeah, so it's almost similar to people that are using fat burners in the hopes of losing fat, but they're not even eating in a calorie deficit or, <laughs> or training effectively. So for someone that is, so so you just said just then that you don't actually need it to have that healthy microbiome and, and gut health, but if someone is doing all the right things with their food um, and their training and the way, you know, their lifestyle, the living healthy lifestyle, how much can a probiotic actually help on top of that? Is it is it going to be beneficial or, or do you think that they're basically a waste of money? So in certain situations, they can be beneficial. So for example, in IBS, um, there is some evidence to show that uh, probiotic supplementation is uh, good for symptomatic control of IBS. Uh, again, that does come down to a very individualized case-by-case -case basis. I've had worked with a lot of people with IBS who haven't seen benefits from probiotics, but I've also worked with a lot of people who have seen benefits. So... Uh, worth trying in IBS for somebody who doesn't have IBS I would say it's probably not worth the money okay. in doing 
Interesting. Very interesting. And this is not something that I brought up before, but it's something that I've just thought about. Yeah. <laughs> because I remember a post that you did the other week, and I reckon um, that people would benefit from this. So when we talk about FODMAP foods, yes. so like low FODMAP foods yep. and stuff like that, and, and the effect that they can have um, on our gut health or, or just health in general, can you go... Do you want to go into a little bit of detail about basically what they are? Yeah, yeah, in general, course, really, because yeah. there's so many people ask questions about about what they even are, yeah. and it is a little bit confusing, I guess, if you haven't really looked into it in the past. Yeah, I think it's something I take for granted because I, I know so much about it that I sort of forget that. I think that everyone yeah. knows it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the low FODMAP diet is essentially a therapeutic diet for IBS, but it's only a short-term diet. And I think that's where a lot of the time it is uh, incorrectly used is that it's used as a long-term diet. Um, the low FODMAP diet, what it essentially does is it eliminates fermentable carbohydrates or fermentable um, sugars, essentially, which are obviously fermenting in the large bowel. The purpose of it is to do a short-term elimination and then a reintroduction to identify the individual triggers for the person with IBS. So this is only within IBS. It's not for other, you know, it's not for the average healthy okay. individual. Um, so what you do is you eliminate for a period of about four to six weeks, then you reintroduce to identify which foods it is because it's not likely going to be the entire collection of FODMAPs that are having the issue. Um, like I said, where people go wrong is that they assume that they just have to cut out these foods for life and that they can never introduce them. And the problem with that is that these fermentable carbohydrates are the ones that are feeding our gut bacteria. So okay. what they've found with some research is that people who are sticking to a low FODMAP diet long-term is Consistently. that yeah, they're actually worsening their gut microbiome. Yeah. They're losing off um, bacteria yeah. within their gut and actually worsening their gut health from doing it long-term. And um, for those that have no idea what some of these foods may be, like what's a yeah. few examples of some? So um, a few examples would be, it's they're found in lots of fruits and vegetables, um, but some really common ones are like onions, uh, garlic, um, wheat is a big one, uh, lactose, uh, and then we've got with the fruits, things like mangoes, watermelon, uh, apples and pears are also a big one as well. So right. lots of healthy foods. Yeah. Yeah, so you can see how by cutting them out long term, it's not going to do yourself any favors. Yeah, yeah, to your gut. And another thing that comes up a lot, and um, and not only just in females, obviously, but for me, the question comes a lot of the time from females. Yeah. When we talk about bloating. Yes. So, what have you got any tips or advice that you can give in regards to either avoiding or um, or reducing bloating. bloat? Yeah. I, I want to start this by saying that some bloating is absolutely normal because I think that at the moment with this interest in gut health is that we're over pathologizing normal responses within the body. Mm. When you eat a large meal, it's very normal to get bloating. Yeah, before you go on, yeah. I'm, going to, I'm going to add in this quickly as well because the question a lot of the time the questions I'm getting about bloating are coming from people that have either one come off eating basically fuck all yep. and are now starting to reintroduce some calories and increase their food yep. or two that are just in general used to eating a low calorie or calorie deficit diet yep. um, and mistake the fact or mistake the feeling of being full after a meal which yep. is probably what they're not used to because they just don't eat enough yep. with actual bloating. Yep, correct. And I find yep. that so often. Um, another really big case where this happens is people who have um, had eating disorders in the past or are recovering from an eating disorder is that their body is just not used to that volume of food. So as soon as mm. you increase the volume of food, 
you've got that distension within your digestive tract because it's got to go somewhere. The it other thing is if you're really lean, you've got nothing to absorb, like yeah. sh- disguise essentially where that's going. So when you've got a bit of like pudge there to like absorb the extension of your yeah. stomach, you don't see it as much. Whereas yeah. if you're really lean, you can see what's going through your digestive tract. Yeah, I remember after a couple of my competitions that I've done, you go out afterwards and eat an absolute shitload and it, like I look like I'm pregnant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that would be considered normal. The yeah. other thing that would be considered normal is uh, women bloat around their menstrual cycle, and that is very, very normal and not something that we need to be doing anything about. It's yeah. just based on the hormones and fluid retention and those sorts of things. Um, and it sucks, but it happens. It so, is what it is, yeah. yeah it is what it is. Um, so, then onto, I guess, more abnormal bloating and things that we can do about it. One really, really big strategy, and I can't remember if I said this on the last one, is um, chewing your food really, really well is the number one tip for reducing bloating. Okay. Because what happens when you don't chew your food well, essentially your teeth is the um, the primary uh, physical digestion, so the physical breakdown of your food. The rest of your digestive system is mostly a chemical breakdown or enzymatic breakdown. Yeah. There is still some physical movement and stuff, but most of that like physical uh, breakdown from solid into a softer, more um, yeah, softer consistency yeah. is through your teeth. So if you're actually not taking the time to do that well, what tends to happen is that you have part like partially undigested food moving through your digestive tract, right? And the enzymes can't break it down because it's too big. Yeah. So they move through your small intestine where they're not absorbed. They go into the large bowel where mm. the they are then fermented. By the bacteria because okay. that's the role of them is to sort of right. do the housekeeping and yeah, clean up yeah. what wasn't done prior. Yeah. And so what I find is, and it's it's I find it fascinating is it happens so often, but sometimes I will have uh, clients that they come in with bloating and we just start by focusing on chewing. And I say, you know, your task for the next couple of weeks is to take twenty chews per mouthful. Make sure everything is pretty much like a smooth paste before you do swallowing, yep. which is an effort. Like I, I wouldn't do it most of the time. Like I don't put yeah, that much effort into my chewing. Yeah, like I don't know if you've seen me eat, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it takes a bit of conscious effort. But I've had clients that have gone from feeling bloated on a regular basis to no bloating at all. That's awesome. From yeah. focusing on the chewing, something so, so small like that. Yeah. 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 Number one tip. What in terms of, say for example, I am bloated at the yep. moment. For yep. example. And I want to get rid of it. Get rid of it, yep. As soon as possible. What can I do? So, unfortunately, there's not too much that we can do to... Um, like, there's nothing you can really take that will just get rid of the gas. Yeah. Um, a lot of people go for things like charcoal there, but we actually don't have much research around that it shows mm. that it's um, beneficial in terms of reducing bloating. One thing that has been shown to be beneficial is uh, movement because it helps with the gas clearance. So, actually okay. getting excess gas moving out. A lot of the time when people are bloated, it's that the gas becomes, I don't know if stagnant is the right word, that makes it sound a bit more pungent than it probably needs to be, <laughs> um, but it's not moving throughout the digestive tract as as smoothly as it should. So by doing movement, so things like even just walking, um, yoga can be good, uh, riding a bike, so just gentle movement where you're getting uh, movement through the digestive tract to actually move the gas along uh, can be very beneficial in terms of reducing down bloating. That's probably one of the best strategies. The next best thing would even be doing something relaxing just so okay. that you can get your body into a parasympathetic drive, um, which is like a rest and digest. Yeah. So you can actually allow your digestive tract to do the role that it's supposed to do. It's meant to do, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. 
some good takeaways there. Yeah. Chewing your food, I'm going to have to start to focus on that a little bit more. 20, 20 chews, but yeah, I'll be there all day. I know. So it's actually, it takes a little bit, but the great thing about it is particularly if um, you're trying to focus on like mindful eating and um, feeling satisfied from your meals and looking at like your weight and everything mm. like that, it can actually be really good for your appetite as well because you feel so much more satisfied from your food because yeah. it takes you so much longer to get through it. Yeah, and you feel fuller quicker. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's actually so that's actually a tip that I give to people that are struggling with being hungry all the time yeah. when they're in a calorie deficit is to just slow things slow down things and down. actually take your time to eat your meal instead yeah. of just like eating it all in one mouthful, basically. Yeah, it makes <laughs> such a difference. And on that note, like when you're eating... Um, when you're like stressed and, and those sorts of things as well, that's a big contributor to bloating because you do tend to mm. eat more quickly then. Or, like I said, you're not in that parasympathetic drive where you're rest and digest. So you're not optimizing. Hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I digestion. suppose if your cortisol levels are up, it's going to be hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, your body's essentially thinking that it's running away from a tiger, and digestion is not. <laughs> not priority. priority. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, <laughs> so I want to. Want to have a chat now um, about, I guess, our main topic for today's um, podcast, and that's emotional eating. So, for those that are listening, I'm sure everyone has gone through it at some point. You had a fucking shit day at work, or you know, you've got stuff going on, and or you're in a shit mood, and and we tend to lean towards comfort foods or just eat for the sake of eating, which yep. is pretty common. Um, so, let's talk about it. You want to kind of go over basically what it is. What it I've is, kind of yep. already touched on it, but um, yep. what it is, how we can prevent it, and or yeah, I don't know, whatever whatever advice that you would recommend. Sure. So emotional eating, um, I find it really interesting because I think there's a lot of like stigma around it. And emotional eating, I think, is there's some normality to it because emotional eating is eating in response to a an emotion, whether it be positive or negative. Mm. A lot of people only think about emotional eating as the negative emotion. Negative, so yeah. when they're stressed, tired, bored, whatever it is. Um, but emotional eating is also eating like for celebrations and those sort of like going out for birthday dinners and yeah. those sorts of things. And that's not a bad thing, I don't think. Not like, at all. Uh, having those uh, positive emotions tied to food. I think it's uh, a good thing about food yeah. is that we can have such positive emotions with food. Um, but it does become a problem when you are reliant on food as a way of coping with uh, an emotion. And in particular, this becomes more prominent with the negative emotions. Um, so what emotional eating essentially is then is eating in response to an emotion and using food as a way to manage that emotion, suppress that emotion, whatever the word is that you sort of want to use there. Uh, and like I said, where it becomes a problem is if it's your go-to mechanism for dealing with that emotion. And what I always like to sort of clarify with people here is that it's not the worst way to deal with an emotion as well. Like, for example, if you are angry... I can think of a lot worse ways than eating to deal with anger, like punching people, yeah. doing drugs. drugs like, yeah. you know, there's lots of worse yeah, things 100%. that you could do than food. And so, I think that's a really good point for people to start is acknowledging that they're emotionally eating for a reason, and that reason may have served a purpose for their life thus far. It might have helped them yeah. get through difficult things that they may have turned to worse things than food for. Yeah, so the outcome is better than what it could have been. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think like just starting with that acknowledgement that they're not. A bad person for what they're doing yeah. and it's actually served them a purpose yeah but it's obviously no longer serving them a purpose mm. if they're reaching out to do something about it yeah and once it becomes a recurring cycle yes there's a big yeah. difference between having a shit day every now and then yeah. and then deciding to go out and have some pizza yeah. <laughs> and getting home from work every single day and yes eating yeah. like shit because you're 
stressed 100%. or whatever. Yeah. 100%. And that's where I say where, when it becomes your go-to source of dealing with a certain emotion, that's when you need to work on some strategies yeah. uh, for dealing with that emotion. So what I suggest with emotional eating is to first work out what are the emotions that you're feeling yeah. that you reach for food. So what that means is that you need to get become really quite aware and mindful of when you're going for food, stopping before you actually get to the food. And I'm not saying you can't have that food because to begin with, the process is probably still going to end up in you eating that food. And that's totally fine as long as we start to recognize what is the emotion that I'm feeling when I go for food. Is it that I'm tired? Is it that I'm bored? Is it that I'm stressed? Is it that I'm sad? Is it that I'm lonely? Like, you know, go through it all and try and work out what is the recurring theme that's coming up that you're going to food for. And it might be all of them, you know, it might yeah. be lots of different things. So the first step is actually just working out what is the emotion that you're feeling and why is food, you know, the, the thing that you're going yeah. for. And then asking yourself, is food helping you in this situation? Yeah. Or is it making the emotion worse? And that's what a lot of people find with emotional eating is that they get a short-term pleasure from eating, yeah. but within 10 or 15 minutes, the emotions compounded. Yeah. And and I don't know, like, because I'm assuming then as well, like you've then got the fact that you're dealing with the stress that's coming from, you know, whatever it may be, some external factor. Yeah. But then now you're also dealing with the stress of going... You know, if, if it is a, a recurring thing, then most likely you may be gaining weight as yep. well. So then yep. now you've got the stress of going like, oh, well, now I'm out of shape. Now I feel unhealthy. Yep. Now guilt. I feel like I've put on weight, blah, blah, blah. So then you've got compounding stress. Yeah, yep. exactly. <laughs> of multiple sources now. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, and a lot of people feel like a failure when they do it and all of that. So that it all adds into that. And then you get in this negative cycle of it. Well, okay, well, I've already done it. Like, mm. I already feel bad. I might as well keep going. Yep. And it's like this perpetuating cycle. Um, so one thing that I do suggest doing is like coming up with some strategies for yourself that are ways to deal with the certain emotions that you've recognized. So, um, and, and like I've personally been an emotional leader before. I mean, yeah. I'm sure we all have yeah, been sure. emotional leaders at some point in time. But for me, what I find is my two biggest triggers for it is um, stress. No, yeah, stress, uh, tiredness or boredom. So what I found is that on the days when I'd be working from home is if I'm sitting there like and I get bored of what I'm doing I want to get up and have a snack like, yeah. and that's I spoke about this on my Instagram this week actually is that when I'm stressed and getting sick of what I'm doing at work I will just want to have a break from a mental break yeah. and for me because I love food so much I'm such a foodie that's a great way for me to have like a happy mental break is to have yeah. a snack and it's accessible yeah yeah it's easy yeah, yeah. Um, but once you work out what that emotion is, you can then apply different things to that yeah. uh, situation. So, for example, for me, I worked out that if I'm needing a mental break, one option is to go for food. And like that's if I want to do that, then that's fine. I'm not going to beat myself up yeah, for doing yeah, yeah. that. But I have also can go for like a two-minute walk around the block. I can also make a phone call to somebody. I yeah. can also put a podcast on for a couple of minutes. I can mm. also jump up and down and yeah. put a song on or something. Do a keep clean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. Like I've got a list of different things that I can do and food still remains on that list. Like yeah. that's still something that I might do from time to time as mm. you know, when I'm bored with what I'm doing at work, it's maybe not every um, time. but it's just not the every time thing. Yeah. So uh, that's something that I definitely suggest is like starting to come up with strategies for what you else could, what else you could do for that emotion. Yeah. And for those that are listening, we, uh, Marika, we do have a, or you have a bit of a giveaway yes. that will that will add in um, at the end. Yeah, um, So make sure you hang around for that. It will be in the show notes as well. 
um, but Marika will tell you the link. Now, one thing I also wanted to ask you about, I'll see what your opinion on this is, with this whole emotional eating thing, so let's say, for example, every time I emotionally eat, mm-hmm. I go for chocolate. Yep. How, what can we do about that in regards to, obviously, I'm a big... Um, advocate for like flexible dieting and and kind of not seeing certain foods as good or bad obviously if chocolate is my go-to every time i'm emotionally eating that relationship with that food is then going to be is going to be negative yeah so what can we do to try and make sure that every time we do have for example if i do want to have chocolate and fit it in my macros or whatever it may be that it doesn't end up being just binge eating yes and just turning into that kind of like uh, emotional connection yeah so I'm so glad you asked this question because one of the big triggers for emotional eating is restriction. Yeah. So by saying that you can't have something, it makes you want it more. And uh. it tends to be through emotional eating that we want it more. So making sure that you're not saying that you can't have it and what that does is creates so that when you do have it when you're emotionally eating, you create that emotional connection with it because that's the only time you're allowed to have it yep. when you're emotionally eating. And it becomes sort of okay because it's like, oh, well, I've already thrown in the towel and I'm emotionally eating and, you know... I'm having it now. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you allow yourself to have it, you know, in normal situations when yeah. you're not emotionally eating, then it can help to try and break that connotation with Between I only two, eat yeah. chocolate when I'm emotionally eating. Yeah. It's like, no, no, I can just eat chocolate like if Whenever I want to have a snack. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I think that, yeah, making sure that you're not excluding foods, um, like, yeah, yeah, I guess restricting and excluding foods like that, particularly if they're like your you know, favorite foods that you want to include on a regular basis. Um, and if you can fit them in a daily, you know, if you do tracking your macros and stuff like that, and that's something that you're doing, then making sure that you're not only allowing yourself those foods when you're emotionally eating, I think is yeah. one of the big things there. Awesome. And so I was going to say the other thing is, cause I'm sort of in two frames of mind is if, and this is more what I do is it, if I have something in the house as well, yep. I'm terrible with self-control. Yep. So my other frame of mind for this is, if it's not in the house, it's hard to get. So, <laughs> it's harder, yeah. <laughs> um, and that, but the thing, most people are quite lazy, myself included. And if I don't have chocolate in the house, I'm unlikely, regardless of how tired, stressed, bored, whatever it is I'm feeling, I'm unlikely to go out and get it. 100%. Because I'm lazy. Yeah, because you're lazy. Couldn't agree more, but... The, the other thing I wanted to ask is, um, and this is probably for someone that might be listening that does suffer from emotional eating that has been a recurring thing for a longer period of time. Obviously, like most things, like most changing habits, yep. it's not as easy as just hearing someone go do this and then no. you just do it. So yep. what would your recommendation be for someone like that? Would it be to come and see someone like yourself? Would it be to reach out to yeah, dietitian, yeah. nutritionist? Yep. Like what? Really good question because I think, yeah, we've sort of made lightheartedness of it, which it can be quite a serious problem mm. for a lot of people. Um, definitely reach out for support where you feel like you need the support because working with somebody with this is going to make a significant difference yep. to be able to work through some of those emotions. Now, the person that you might be reaching out to will differ individual to individual. Um, some people might find like a psychologist is the best person to go for for this. Other people might find that a dietitian is the best person to go for. If you're unsure, uh, a good starting point would be if you've got a good GP is just to connect with your GP and okay. say, look, I'm yep. having some problems and get them to do an assessment because if it's a psychology issue, they'll be able to sort of do some baseline point tests in and point you in the right yeah. direction for that. If it's more of a food issue, then they can point you in the right direction for that. So, um, yeah, I guess it depends on 
where the issue lies is it more in the emotional side of it or is it more in the food side of it yeah um and i'd be yeah, toying up between a psychologist and a, a dietitian there okay. with people looking for support also know that you're not alone and and like i said i know we've made like lightheartedness of this but it is a really big issue and i know a lot of people really do struggle with this yeah and just out of curiosity do you do you find that people that do suffer from um emotional eating to the point where it is kind of a bit excessive mm. do you find that the rest of their nutrition is very average as well or, or do you find that c- cases where i know this is a pretty open-ended question but where people are completely on top of their nutrition but they still have that trigger where they've gone from you know 90 percent of their day being just spot on yeah and then all of a sudden this one emotional trigger just like sends them off uh yeah i'd say it happens both i'm gonna say almost more common in people who are like I said before, too strict with their eating. Yeah. So, you know, they'll go, you know, Monday morning, they've got everything prepped and planned. They eat to the tea and they potentially don't eat enough as well mm. as the other thing. Under eating, yeah. Um, and they just eat so healthy and then it gets to the end of the day and they're tired. Their decision fatigue is insane because they've, you know, had a busy, stressful job mm. and they've, you know, had busy days. And it gets to the end of the day and they're like, well, I deserve this. I've eaten well. And then they get into this mentality of like, oh, well, I've already had some. So fuck it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Might as well keep going. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I'd say it happens with both. But like I said before, I think dieting and um, the restrictive mindset definitely is a precursor for emotional eating. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. This has been fun. It has been. um, So for those uh, that have tuned in to the episode today, um, as a way of saying thanks, you've offered a um, a PDF that they can download for free. Yes. So Um, so where can they find that? It's a little emotional eating emergency plan. So some of the things that I've spoken through today, it essentially is a um, workbook or worksheet that you can print out and I encourage you to either stick on your fridge or have somewhere convenient so that when you're in the heat of the moment, some of those questions that I sort of prompted you uh, to check up on yourself, you can actually fill them out and write it down. Something so therapeutic about writing in these instances, it gets the emotions out of your head and onto paper, which can be the difference for a lot of people. Um, But some really practical strategies on that worksheet. So it is at www.marikaday.com forward slash djkfitness. Perfect. And if you didn't write that down, then that's fine because it's going to be in the show notes below anyway. Or if I said it wrong. Um, so thank you for joining us again today. Um, today's been really good. And so for those that have listened to the show, uh, if you have enjoyed today's episode, one, go and download that PDF. Two, make sure you take a screenshot of the show today on your phone and put it up on your Instagram story. Tag myself, tag Marika. We'd love to get your feedback. And who knows, potentially part three. You would be the first guest to come on the show three times. I'd love that. How good. How good. All right, guys. Thanks heaps for tuning in to the episode today. Um, Really do appreciate it. If you haven't hit the subscribe button already, please do. Um, Look forward to chatting to you again in next week's episode. Again, thank you for joining us, Marika. Thank you. My pleasure.